In Matthew 6.23, God tells us that we should seek His way of life first and seek the kingdom of God first. And are we always seeking God's way first? And His righteousness. So He gave us things to do and we don't always reach out and do that. I've been doing some sermons, sermonettes rather, on Romans 10 and I'm going to go back there with a little different heading on it now. It's but in Romans 10, verse 4, starting verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. If we believe in God, if we trust in God. For, uh, let's see, for Moses described the righteousness which is of the law that the man which does those things shall live by them. That's the righteousness of the law, that if you live by that law, you'll do it. You'll live that way. Man doesn't want to seem to live that way, do we? We don't want to, we want to make our own laws. And like I said earlier, back up there, that people have a zeal for God, but not according to righteousness. A zeal for God but not because of knowledge. And they want to take God's righteousness and replace it with their own righteousness, which is not the way to go. But, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in your heart who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ back. You know, can we go up there and get Christ? No, we can't. Or we can't go down into the depths of the earth and bring him back. But what says it? The word is nigh unto you, even into your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth, Emmanuel, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So it takes a lot. It is faith. So, Today, I want to go into godly righteousness, to think, what is godly righteousness? Do we understand what godly righteousness is? Godly righteousness is holy, upright living in accordance with God's standards. So if we want to have and be righteous, if we want to have and be like God, we've got to find out what his standards are. We set our own standards too many times, and it's not God's standards. God's character is defined and uh, is the definition and source of all righteousness. That's what God's standards are. He is the source of all righteousness. And one thing that God wants from us is to be like He is. You know, we set a standard out here. If we're to live here on this property, we have to live by God's standards. Not some standard that we pick and choose. If it's not here in this book, then it's our standards. And too often we find in the church of God and in, and in the world that we have our own standards we set and not God's. But to live here, we want to live by what God says 
and the way he says to do it. In Genesis 18, here we're talking in Genesis 18, where a whole nation, a whole city rather, two cities were living ungodly, ungodly standards. And we see that happening even in this day and time. The same standards of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, this young lady that ran for the Miss America, the Miss California, she said that in a statement, when they asked her the question about marriage, she said marriage is between a man and a woman. One man, one woman. That's God's standard. And since then, she's been persecuted by all those that live ungodly. They live a lifestyle that God says should be put to sleep. A lifestyle that is the same lifestyle that they were going through before Noah. And God put the whole world to sleep. And here's a place in Sodom and Gomorrah where these people rejected God's standards and God's form of righteousness. So what do we do? Are we going to stand for persecution? Will we stand like this young lady who stood on her integrity was? She believed that God says these things and that's the way you should live. But it's bad. She's been condemned because she said God's way. Then on the other hand, those people that are living ungodly ways sit down there and tell, make fun of her and put her down and criticize her and make her look bad. And the society says, that's okay. All of our sitcoms are going to that same ungodly standards. It's, it's a, a shame. But here in Genesis 18, verse 24, we're going to look at God's righteousness. It says in verse 24, in here where Abraham was saying to God, because, you know, God came or Christ came to Abraham and said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to hold it back from you. I want to do this. I want to wipe these people out because they live an ungodly standard. Well, Abraham knew Lot lived there. Abraham knew Lot had a wife and children. Abraham knew he had nieces and second, uh, you know, nieces and, and nephews and and their families. So Abraham wanted to save, you know, save Lot and his family and said, pre-adventure, there'd be 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that live in there? So what did Abraham say? Look, you're righteous. Are you going to spare? Would you spare the towns if you can find 50 righteous people? Verse 25, that be far from you to do that, uh, do after this manner, to, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, God is right. God is righteous. And so he said, no, I won't. I won't take it out. He went all the way down to ten. He would spare the city. That's how righteous God is. He would have spared both those towns 
if there had been ten righteous people. But we know there was only one. And God made a place in a way that Lot and his two daughters and his wife could leave. But his wife was so in tune to this world, just like so many people are today, they just can't leave this society. They have to look back. But our God is righteous. And he will keep his promises that he makes. That's a principle, I think, that something we need to learn. If we're to be God's wife, if we're to be there in the world tomorrow, will we destroy wicked people with righteous people? Or will we spare the righteous and spare the world? Will we have the compassion and love that our Creator has? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And we'll see here where Christ is showing that we must live a righteous way and do things the right way. Verse 13. Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of John. But John forbid him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you. Come you to me? Well, you know, why are you coming to me? I need to be, you know, you are the righteous one. I need to be taken care of by you. But Emmanuel answered and said to him, Suffer it to be so, for this it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. They had to seek and do those things that were God's standard, what God said as righteous. When we look at our daily life, do we analyze our life and do the things that are righteous? Just as Emmanuel said, we have to do those things that are fulfill righteousness. So we have to, in our own personal life, We must go out and fulfill those things that are righteous. And so he was baptized. Even though he was the righteous, he still was taken care of. Hebrews 6. We go through this, and we probably know it, probably have memorized it. But let's look at Hebrews 6 for a minute. Verse 1. Because we need to live our life in a right way, in a righteous way. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Perfection becomes righteous living. So we need to take our life and go beyond what we are on a daily basis. We have to ex- ex- exceed those things that would be what we do getting up in the morning. We have to go beyond and above the call. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So baptism is repenting from dead works, isn't it? So the righteousness that we're to work on, godly righteousness, is to look at your life and see where I'm making mistakes, where I have to turn my life around. So repentance from dead works and faith toward God. On everything we do, we have to trust that our Creator is going to be there to take care of us. Many times things happen in our life 
We think, why did God do that to me? Do we have that faith that God is aware of what we're doing? He's aware of the way we live. And when we make a mistake, when we do something, maybe we have said, I'm going to change, I'm going to repent and turn around, and then you don't do it. I know that happens. I'm aware of that happening even right this time. That someone has said, I'm going to change my way. And then didn't. They didn't keep the righteousness that they were working toward. And so God brings punishment on us. Is it because God hates us? Is it because God is unrighteous? No. God brings punishment on us just like you would with your children. He wants us to make the change. And sometimes we have to have the pressure put on us to say, okay, all right, I made the mistake. But God's not unrighteous in those areas, is he? He does it for our good. He looks at the overall, bottom line, what he wants. He wants a family. And with us, he wants a wife for his son. He wants those that can come into the world tomorrow and teach and show others how to live. And so we get pressure put on us. And sometimes it's hard. We don't understand that. And we look out and say, well, God's unrighteous because he did something to me. He spanked me and I didn't want to be spanked. You know, I think of those things so many times. Somebody will come up to you and tell you, you want to go to jail? Well, yeah, I want to go to jail. You go to your child, you want to be spanked? Yeah, I want to be spanked. You know, we go to the minister. Well, you're going to jump all over. Yeah, jump all over us because that's what we really love. No, that's not the case, is it? You don't want to be corrected, but you do want to be part of God's family. So he goes on. So it says of the doctrine of baptism, in which, you know, that's righteousness. It's righteous to search out God's way and see your faults and make the change. And turn around and search out why does God want me to be baptized? Of hands laying on of hands, and there's a lot to laying on of hands. You know, God sets you apart. So when we're, you're sick, you're hurting, you come to the elders, as James tells you, and when they put hands on you, you're setting you aside that God will take a special look, because our God is so righteous and so loving and so kind that he's wanting to take care of you. So we, when we lay hands on someone that's sick, we ask God, set them aside. Look specially into their life and help them. And that's part of becoming part of a way of life. So you're baptized, which says, I recognize I've made mistakes. And... I want to change, and so I'm killing my past life, my past ways. And when you're brought up out of the water, you have hands laid on you, asking God to set you aside and imparting to you His Spirit. And the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So there are several things that we have to find, that our God is so righteous that He set a course. I go out here and look at this earth and see what God has done here, how miraculously it has been done. Down to the microorganisms that break 
the soil down and the plants that can reach down into that soil and take the nutrients or the minerals, the things that make this body live and puts it where it is enjoyable to eat. And man tries to make those changes. He's gone out there and, and doctored with that too and just really changed everything. So our God, who is a very righteous God, expects us to make changes, to look at this book and see how he lives. What's God's standard? It's God's standard, as we read here, repentance, faith toward God, laying on of hands. All these things is God's standard. And that's some things that we have to learn to, to live with. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, says, He is the rock. You know, Christ talking to Peter says, I am the rock that everything's going to be built on. You're a pebble. You're just a little stone. It says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. God's work is perfect. In all His ways are judgment of a God of truth, without iniquity, just, upright is our God. These are the characteristics of our God, our Creator. You know, I was, I always read these things. I go back and read Matthew 23, 23, that says, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, said, you know, you, you should tithe, mint coming to Annas, but there are things that you left out. It says judgment, justice, mercy, and faith. So what is judgment? If our God, if this is a characteristic of God, and this is God's righteousness, what is judgment? Last night I was thinking on that, trying to think, well, what is, what is judgment? And in my little dictionary I have, it says, Is the uh, deriving of a con- deriving of a conclusion by reasoning? That's what judgment is. You look for a conclusion by reasoning, or a determination arrived at by reasoning. It's not that you just jump out there and make a decision based on who I am, but you go out there and you look at it, you analyze it, you reason why things are done that way. Sometimes we just don't give a reason for why we did it the way we did it. So we see somebody make a mistake. We see somebody do something totally different than what I would do it, so we judge them as being wrong. But do we reason that maybe in their history they did it this way? So when God does something and he corrects us, do we sit back and reason out why God did it this way? Or do we just make a snap decision? It's easy to make the snap decisions, isn't it? And it's hard to reason uh, why God was doing the things he was doing. It's like I was thinking, my wife was talking to my one daughter in in, uh, in Vegas. And uh, I got to thinking about the way those the, the Jews take things. And they don't eat unclean things, nor do we. 
do we reason why we don't do those things? Because God made a purpose for it. If you reason that God teaches us not to eat unclean things, is because he wants us to, to realize that we must have him first in our life. And so every time you see something unclean, I don't eat that because that's not righteous. So if I'm always seeing that before me, then I realize that's not righteousness, but eating the things that God says leads me to that path of righteousness. But most people don't understand why they don't eat unclean foods. God has a purpose in that. If we'd only reason why God did that, there's a purpose behind it. Another uh, statement of judgment is the result of evaluating something. You need to sit down, and our God does that. When he makes a judgment, he's evaluated the circumstance down to the finest detail. He looks at those circumstances, and he makes the decision or the judgment based on the circumstances around. Now, we might have found ourselves in a position where we were forced to do something. Do we just say, you're condemned? The judgment is you're condemned because I don't look at the circumstances. Maybe circumstances led you that way. Maybe they didn't. Another definition would be the ability to make an intelligent choice. An intelligent choice. Because you thought about it, you reasoned it, you evaluated the situation, and now you can make an intelligent choice of which way to go. That's what our God does. He evaluates everything, he reasons it out, and then he makes an intelligent choice to reach an intelligent conclusion or decision. So we want to be like God. Our God is righteous. He does things in, a, in setting his standards. So are we making, here it tells us back in, in Deuteronomy 32, that is judgment of God. His judgments are righteous because he spends the time. And he wants us to pattern our life in the same mood that he does. He wants us to live like he does. It's too easy to make snap decisions and condemn somebody when we don't know all the facts. I was thinking on that. They have these crime scene show, uh, you know, things on TV all the time. And they say... We can't do it just on emotion. We have to do it on facts. Get the facts. And I think that's one of the things, one of the speeches in Spokesman Club was, get the facts. Know what you are talking about. Know what's happening. It goes on to say, the righteousness of God then is a God of truth. Am I truthful? Does everything I say work out that way? John 17, 17. Christ's prayer prior to his death. Christ speaking in John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through truth. So God's judgment and sanctifying and setting us apart is through truth. And what is truth? He goes on to say, your word is truth. All that comes from the mouth of God 
is truth. These books, these words that are written in this book, were written by holy men as God moved them. That wasn't their ideas. It wasn't their thoughts and actions. And it's interesting that this whole book could have been written thousands of years ago and applies to us today because it is God's truth. Romans 12. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you do that? Through God's word, through God's truth, through the things that God tells us to do. Again, in verse, in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occupation of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So, how do we prove it? How do we prove what's truth? We have to, whatever is brought to us, whatever is brought out, does it, uh, does it conform to what's written here? When we, so many people have tried to make, to get people together to be the minister or the preacher or the teacher of, of a great group of people. But does the things they teach, do they match what's in God's Word? Because that's where truth comes from. So truth is John 17, 17, God's Word. It's also the quality or state of keeping close to fact and avoid distortion or misrepresentation. How often does that happen? How often do people misrepresent God? How often is it that we distort? That doesn't have to be very much. And we hear many people say, well, they, they can't all be bad, can they? Mr. Armstrong used to teach that. They're not all bad. Not all these churches can't be bad, can they? They can't be good. If they're distorting the truth, then they're not doing it God's way. That applies to each one of us too, doesn't it? In our communication one with another, do we distort the truth? Do we exaggerate? Do we carry it beyond some point? Our God doesn't do that. He gives us the straight fact, the straight truth, what He wants us to do. But it's easy if it's going to make you look bad or not as intelligent or not up to things to exaggerate just a little bit. don't have to be much, just a little bit. Well, that's not truth, is it? We want to be and live like God. We want to be God's standard. So truth has to be from God's Word. And what comes out of our mouth must be truthful and honest and upfront. If not, then we better go back and do what it says there in, in uh, 
acts to repent and turn around, change the way we live, to live more like Christ, more like our Father. So, whatever you do, make it honest. Don't don't exaggerate it. (laughs) But it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's just easy to go beyond what's up there in front. Another aspect of God is integrity. I'm sorry, not integrity. Iniquity. I'm getting where my eyes are getting to the point right now. I'm getting hard where I can't hardly see out of my left now. I don't know why. Guess I'm going to get some new glasses. Iniquity. It's a peculiar thing as an act that is evil. So when we say here, God is truth and without iniquity, God has no evil in him. There is no evil in our God. Whatever he does, he does is righteous and right and for the good of those he's working with. So our God has no iniquity. What about us? Do we do evil things? It can be anything. It can be evil. You can have wrong thoughts. You can have, uh, like David said throughout the Psalms, many places he said, he just, take away these people who have these bad thoughts. I don't want to be, I don't want to be aligned with any of these people. I want to be separate. I want to be doing things your way. Another thing it says back here in Deuteronomy 32 is being just. What is it to be just? How are you just? How is our God just? A definition for just is having a firm foundation in fact and logic. Having the facts. You can't be just in making a judgment and acting like our God if you don't have the facts. You just can't do that. You've got to have facts. Another definition is having or maintaining a strict regard for what is normally right. And take out the normally. It's the strict regard for what is right. The things that are right. The way you live your life. You must have a strict regard for that. In other words, you're not going to bend like that young lady up there who said marriage is a union between a man and a woman. She's not bending. No matter what they throw at her, do we do that same thing? Or is it easy to bend here a little there? You can't be just having foundation in fact and then bend. But you must have a strict regard for what God says regarding everything that we're taught, applying it in our life, living by those things. That's what strict regard is. You just don't go the other way. Remember back when Abraham asked God, he said, you're, you're not going to be judged to condemn the righteous with the wicked. God has a strict regard for righteousness. Another statement for just is be characterized by honesty, justice, and freedom from improper influence. 
you can be influenced easily at times. I've seen people who I thought were down the line. Many of you have too. When we were in worldwide, we saw them influenced by the wrong things. Maybe because they didn't have that strict regard for the right things. And so they were easily influenced. Just is not easily influenced. It stays and walks the line. It talks the talk. It lives that way of life. So here we see our God who has judgment, truth. He has no iniquity. He's not an evil person or an evil being. He's just and he's right in everything he does. These are characteristics of a God that has loved us and wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. Verse 8. Romans 9, verse 8. I'll go back to verse 7. Neither because we are the seed of neither because we are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. So here he's saying that God selected Isaac, not Ishmael. He selected Isaac for the seed. That is, they which are children of the flesh, which are not children of God, but children of the promise are counted for the seed. So God selected Isaac to carry out a family. God selected us in this day and time to carry out his family. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by my one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done good or evil, that the purpose of God is a uh, purpose of God according to the elect election might stand not of works but of him that calls. So is God set a standard and God's righteousness said this is the way it's going to be, showing who he is and how he has the right to make those decisions. For let's see, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, even before they were born. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Paul goes on and says, no. It's not unrighteous for God to make that decision. But it is for us to sit out there and condemn our God if we say, well, why not? Why why did God do it that way? No, it's not an unrighteous God. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's his decision. Everything he does is for a purpose. It shows who he is, his power, his might, his righteousness. 
So then, it is not of him that will, nor him that runs, but God that shows mercy. It is God's mercy. Do we have mercy? You know, we're to do that same thing. Sometimes we don't show that kind of mercy that our God has. We see somebody do something, we don't recognize that. Maybe they don't have the experience. Maybe they don't have the years behind them. Maybe they have never done it. But we can be hard on each other and put each other down and not recognize that we're judging them not by reasoning it out, thinking about it, seeing if they've ever done it before. But we can come hard on people, on each other, without knowing that God has mercy. So then we need to be like God and have mercy. You know, take it easy. Show that kind of love like our God does. For the Scripture says unto unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So here's a case. God does things to show who he is, that he is God. He has the right to do that. And if we see that and believe that, then we're ahead. Therefore, has he mercy on whom he'll have mercy, and whom he'll pardon, he'll pardon. You will say unto, unto me, why do you yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who are you that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why have you made me thus? God has a purpose, and everything he has done is right and good and just. But, you know, I could say, why am I here? What am I doing this? Why have I been given this opportunity to come out here to this desert to live? And others haven't. Am I judging God, or am I saying, thank you, and those I heard this on the sermon, or was reading it, that Mr. Armstrong's always said, thank you for being God. Can we get up in the morning, get on our knees and say, thank you for being God. Thank you for the love that you have, and the judgment and justice and righteousness that you have. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for the opportunity. Because I'm not the one that should be standing up here saying, I'm so good. No. I have to thank God for the things that he does. The term righteousness is used to define man's relationship with God. Do we have a righteousness with our God? Let's go to Psalms chapter 50. There's a lot in the Psalms of, about righteousness. Psalm chapter 50. Many times we'll go and read 51 where it's David's repentance. We're going back to Psalm 50, verse 1. 
the mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. God called it. This is a beautiful planet. Everything that he has created. Remember back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, or chapter 1 and 2, it says that all that God had done was fantastic. It was good. It was fantastic. So he says that God called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tumultuous around about him. He shall call to the heavens from above, and the earth that is uh, that he may judge the people. So God's going to do the right kind of judgment because of our God's standards he sets. Gather my saints together unto me those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Did you make a covenant with God? And what was the sacrifice? You sacrificed your past way of life. and you were baptized, you went under the ground, under the water, and died of past sins. And so you made a sacrifice and a covenant with God. You can't go back on that covenant. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. The heavens declare God's righteousness. How beautiful they are. How magnificent they are. We can look up there and see the Big Dipper. I do that many times, go out there and look up there and see Pleiades and see uh, Orion's belt. Those things were there in David's time. And how long was that? 4,000 years ago? Were they there 6,000 years ago? Those beautiful things. David talks of the Maserat. Talks of God's and declares God's righteousness in the skies. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, even your God. Declares his purpose, his might, who he is. There is no other. I will not reprove you for your sacrifice or your burnt offerings to have been uh, continued before me. I will not take no bullock out of your house, nor a he-goat out of your field. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. It says, all this belongs to me. Everything out here belongs to me. Look at what I have done. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. This is God who's speaking with all these things that he has that are his. I will eat, I will eat the flesh or will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving and pray, pay your vows unto the Most High. If you make a commitment, which we did, that we would walk in His stead, walk in His direction, then we must pay those vows 
we must make sure that vow that we made, that our commitment to him, we must keep it. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Again, God makes a promise. He says, I am this righteous. Call on me when you need help, when you're hurting, when you're not doing, when you're not getting the things you need to live by. Remember the instructional prayer is, God, give us this day our daily bread, the things that we need, and forgive us our trespasses. The instructional prayer on a daily basis, help us, Father. And he says, I'll, I'll be there. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So when God gives to us, we sit down and say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for being here and being my God. But unto the wicked, God says, what have you to do to declare my statutes? Or that you should take my covenant on your mouth? Well, how can the wicked do that? They don't know God. They don't do things God's way. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Christ becomes the end of the law for righteousness sake. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. But let him that glories, uh, glorifies glory in this. So if we're going to give glory, that he understands and knows me, God's saying. Do we understand who our God is? Do we know him? That I am the Lord, which exercises loving <clears throat> and I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness judgment righteousness in the earth for in these things I declare said the Lord God is a God of loving kindness and sometimes I find it hard to have that kind of loving kindness don't you? Ever been in that position that you just don't have the loving kindness to forgive and forget or to help? Our God does. He has that kind of loving kindness. In James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Verse 9, James 3, verse 9, uh, back in verse 8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. He's talking about us as human beings. That what comes out of our mouth, is a, out of our tongue, is a, a deadly evil. Wherefore, with uh, therewith, rather, we bless God. We give God thanks. We have our prayers. We thank Him for all things, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. So God doesn't do that. But it is for men to, with one side of your tongue, you love God, you talk of His greatness, and the other side, you look down on somebody else and find their faults, and you criticize and condemn them. 
For out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Because that's not the way our God is. He isn't two-sided. Does a fountain send forth salt water? It's uh, pure water and then salt water? No. You'll get the same out of the same. I, I've had a well in Florida. But it didn't have sweet water. It had a lot of salt water in it. The only way to make it sweet was to take the salt out. But the wall, that, that well didn't have good tasting water one minute and then salty the next. It was always salty. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Neither a vine figs. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water. So if we're to be like our God, we can't have a double standard. This can't be a double standard. Our God is not that way. Who is a wise man and endures with knowledge among you? Let him show show out of the good conversation or the way he lives his life, his actions, works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. So this is good correction for every one of mankind. This wisdom comes, uh, descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work is in our country in that position today. It happened in the church. Things became distorted and the church fell apart. What's happening today in this nation is all following confusion. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without uh, partiality and without hypocrisy. Not telling people one thing and doing something else. That's hard. If we tell our children to do one thing and we do something else, what are we doing? We can tell them, but they live more by the way we live our life. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Our God says to sow righteousness, to be like he is, to follow him and do things his way. Is that the way that we live our life? Romans 2, verse 4. Here we're told that despise you the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. God's righteousness, Romans 2.4, leads to repentance. If we look at God, look at what he said here, listen to how he lives his life. Godly standards lead to repentance. And it takes 
work and effort to do that. Let's take a look a little bit then at loving kindness, because our God is a loving God. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. God's loving kindness toward us. His promise to His chosen people in spite of their sins and their rebellion. Wherefore, it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God shall keep unto you his uh, the covenant and mercy which he swore to your fathers. God will keep the covenants that he gave to us. His covenant to us. His loving kindness to us. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you and he will bless, also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your corn and your wine and your oil, the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep in the land which he swore unto your fathers to give to you. He will keep those things. That's how loving God is. His kindness and his love, if we will only keep his covenants that he's made with us. As the covenant of the Ten Commandments, the covenant of peace, the covenant that he makes with us, and the covenant that we made with him when we were baptized. That was a covenant we made between our God. And he will bless us if we will keep those covenants. Psalms chapter 17. Psalm chapter 17. God is a loving, kind Father. Verse 1. Hear the, hear the right, O God, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear to my prayer that goes not out in feigned lips. He asked us, David asking God to hear him. Let my sentence come forth from your presence let your eyes behold the things that are equal. You have proved my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and you shall find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. I said that. God is righteous. He's loving and kind. And so here David says, look at my heart. See how I respond. How I have tried to do things your way. Concerning the works of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept me from the path of the destroyer. Hold up my going in, in your path, that my footsteps slip not. He's wanting God's righteousness, his loving kindness to help him. That he doesn't fall backward. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear unto me, and hear my speech. 
Listen to me, Father. When I get on my knees and pray to God and say, help me, thank you for the things you've given, and help those that you have singled out, called, and brought together for a purpose. His loving kindness is there to gently take care of each one of us. Show your merciful, loving kindness, O God, O, o you that save us, save by your right hand them which put their trust in you from those that raise up against them. So don't we ask God to do that? We have enemies. Of course, we know the enemy is Satan. And he has swayed the world to be against us. Well, we're not known yet. But as time goes on, and we're out here doing his bidding, doing his work, following him, is he, can we ask him to be there and help us? Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. God's loving kindness is out there in David saying, keep me as the apple of your eye. I'm the special one that you want, the special one you've taken care of, called out. They are enclosed in their own fat. In their mouths they speak proudly. This is the world and those that are against your people. They have, uh, they have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. Like a lion, they greedily, greedily for the prey. And as a young lion working in secret places, arise, O Lord, disappoint them, cast them down, deliver my soul from the wicked, from which is your sword, from men which are your hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and those whose bellies you fill with your hidden treasures. They are full of children and leave the rest of their own substance in their, uh, to their babies. As for me, I will hold your face in righteousness. I shall be sat- uh, satisfied when I wake with your kindness. Are we waking up in the morning and really being satisfied how God has really loved us and taken care of us? Sometimes I get like a lot of people. You you think that everything's down. God's not there. But His loving kindness is there. He loves us. He's going to help us. Go to chapter 26 now. Verse 1, chapter 26, verse 1. David again saying, Judge me, O God, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not side. What is my integrity? Is my integrity so impeccable that I can be trusted by God to do His things? We're here. We can look back and see the integrity that some had that are not here anymore. That don't look to God. That have gone back toward doing the way they did before. And yet, can I say in my heart, can you say in your heart, 
Father, look at my integrity. I'm not going to slip aside. I'm not going to follow the wrong path. Again, he goes on in verse 2, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try the reins of my heart. When you prove something, you go out there and see, is that right? Does that go to do it? Is God making the judgment on me based on his examination of my life? I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in the, with uh, dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of the evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Your integrity, can you say that? God's a loving kindness that he will take care of each and every one of us if we're willing to follow and do things his way. Sometimes it's difficult, I know. Sometimes we don't want to follow God's way. Go to chapter 36 in Psalms. Verse 1, chapter 36. The transgression of the wicked says within his heart, there is no God, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the wicked people. There is no fear of God. Look at our our national national leaders today. They do not fear God. They have so much their own pride of life, pride of power, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is what orients this country. But God is not that way with us. Try the you know. Trying our reins and seeing how we are. For the flattery, uh, for he flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit, and he has left off to be wise and to do good. He deceives, he devises mischief. Upon his bed, he sets himself in a way that is not good. He abhors uh, not evil. He loves evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are great and deep. O Lord, you preserve men and beasts. How excellent is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Because God's righteousness and his loving kindness, we can put our hope and trust in him. We can say, yes, God is going to be there and take care of us. Because he is a loving, kind, just father. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of of your house, and you shall make them drink of the rivers of, of your pleasure. For with you is the fountains of life, and in the light shall we see light. As long as we are searching out and trying to do it God's way, He has that kind of love that He's going to take care of us, each and every one of us. Oh, continue your loving kindness unto them that know you and your, lo- your righteousness 
to the upright in heart, and let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are, there are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. God loves us as long as we're doing it His way. His loving kindness goes out so far above what we do. In Psalm 51, we see where David cried out, knowing that he had made a mistake, knowing that he had gone contrary to God. He said in 51 verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. These are things that we should pattern our life after. God is kind. God is loving. God is righteous. He wants us to make those changes. So when we come up and deal with each other, when we deal with the world, do we deal with it according to God's loving kindness? Can someone come and say, forgive me? God forgave David, didn't he? He said that David was a man after his own heart. If someone had done something to us and comes to us and says, forgive me, do we have that kind of tender mercy and loving kindness to forgive them and continue going forward? I hope we can. I hope it's what God wants from each one of us. God's righteousness is something that we need to obtain. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, we read, We are all like unclean things. This is our righteousness. This is what our own righteousness has. It was bringing out there in Romans 10, verse 3, man's righteousness is like this in Isaiah 66, 4. We are all like unclean things. And all our righteousness all of our own righteousness, the things that we can claim to, are like filthy rags. And we've got a bunch of rags that we use over here when we work on cars and they get black and greasy and grimy and filthy. That's what my righteousness, that's what man's righteousness is. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We can't claim to anything that we've done of our own, on our own will, to be righteous. We have to go to God and recognize it is God that does it all. Philippians chapter 3. Our righteousness is, is nothing but filthy rags. Philippians 3 verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Emmanuel, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Can we look back at our achievements, our own personal achievements outside of what God has given to us? Can we look at that and do as Paul said all those things that I've done, that count as nothing as done. 
I count them as done, that I may win Christ, that I get rid of self, get rid of me, get rid of my greatness, and be found in Him, not having uh, my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Abraham was said to be faithful. Abraham was, his faith was accounted as righteousness as shown here in Galatians 3 verse 6. God shows that Abraham's faith, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness because of Abraham's belief was counted for righteousness. Abraham's faith, Abraham's trust, all those things were counted to him for righteousness. Not because he was a single separate person, but because he believed God. Knowing you, therefore, that you which are of faith, the same are children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with the faithful Abraham. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. David believed God. David trusted God. Even when he saw the mistakes. You know, to kill a friend, to kill one of his top generals, to take his wife... God spanked him, didn't he? He sent Nathan the prophet and said, You are the man. He gave him a parable. And David got wroth with that man in that parable. And Nathan had to say, You are that person. You are not righteous. So, David repented of that. Are we ready to follow Abraham? Romans 4 verse 3 says, For what says the Scriptures? Abraham believed God. Do we believe God? And it was counted unto him for righteousness. If we believe with our heart and we walk that path and we do the things as Abraham did, God will count that for righteousness. Not that we of ourselves are righteous but because we do it God's way. We love Him. We follow His way. Christ lived the loving kindness in His whole life. He was able to take little children. Even though He said, get these children out of here. Christ said, no, suffer the children. Abraham, God, or Christ, Emmanuel, was able to take little children and hold them in His arms and look down and said, we as people, as men, and women must live like a little child. We must have that kind of faith. A little child, you can tell them, because, you know, when they're born, they have no knowledge. But they grow on a daily basis. All that God keeps opening up in front of them. Do we accept those things? We have sent things out to the church. They've closed their minds. They're not like little children. A little child will listen for new information. 
We have to be like little children. Christ has that kind of loving kindness and that tender mercy that he will hold a little child and say, we must be like that little child. Even though people want to put them aside. Christ loved people so much when he saw them hurting, he fed them, remember? 4,000 one time, 5,000 another. Well, disciples said, we don't have enough to take care of these people. Christ said, sit them down, we'll feed them. He had compassion because it was so far back to where they had to go. He had that kind of compassion, that kind of love. We can't live a double standard. We must live the live the life that Christ lived. In John chapter one verse seventeen, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Emmanuel the Christ. God gave us the laws, the things that if we live by them, if we live by the law, if we believe the law, we must live by them and do them. Do we do that? Do we have the compassion, the love, the forgiveness, the mercy that God has, that He showed to us? Are we like little children then, loving our Father? And you know, you look at a child. A little child looks up at the parent and they have this, whatever you say, whatever you tell me, that's true. That's that's the way to go. Do we look at God that way? Do we look up at Him and say, Thank you. Teach me. Show me. I want to be your child. I want to have your faith. I want to have your love. I want to have your kindness. I want to be able to judge people based on your standards. I want to be giving based on God's standards. So what then is God's righteousness? God's righteousness is based, and which we must learn to keep, is shown by keeping His covenants, is shown by His standards. And His standards are something we must live by. Because of ourself, we have no righteousness of our own. Remember, it's dirty rags. What righteousness are you working toward? Yours? As there in Romans 10. Go back here again, closing. Romans 10, verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... We cannot be ignorant of God's righteousness and going about establishing their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is where we have to be. We have to look out there and submit to God on every word that comes out of God's mouth. This is it. This book, as we read in John chapter 17, verse 17, God's Word is truth. Submit to God. Submit to God's righteousness and have a zeal for God according to 
through knowledge. As a little child, open up your mind, open up your heart, and let God lead you in the path of righteousness.